Does anybody ever order anything off of Amazon? Double hands. So we've been disappointed they took away the uh, recycle bins out there by the jail. (laughs) What do we do with our boxes? Now, um, if you're watching from online and you're not from DeQueen, you know, we don't have little cans we put out with recycle stuff. We got to take it to a place, and now the recycle. We we loaded up our car. The, I, I messaged you on Facebook because you said the same comment. We loaded up our car. Had all the, I mean all the boxes we've been having for weeks, and uh, it was piled up everywhere. It was falling on Hope in her seat. It was all over the place. We went out there, and there were no recycle things. We're like, well, I guess we got to go back <laughs> with these stinky boxes. Um, but you order stuff, and uh, you know some stuff is necessary. I mean. You know, you got to order sometimes, depending on how stocked Walmart is, toilet paper, paper towels. and uh, But sometimes you order something that you're really anticipating. Anybody ever order something recently that you're really excited about getting? You know, you think about it, yeah. You get the tracking number, and, and you follow it, and uh, you, maybe you're, you're on the text thing with UPS, and they send you text. Like, it, it's, um, it's shipped, and it's on the way. It, it usually will get to Louisiana, and then it'll arrive in Texarkana, and then you get that great one that says, out for delivery, right? And you're like, oh, this is it. And this is it. Today, it's coming. But do you ever get it out for delivery and it doesn't show up? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that was quick, Brielle. That was fast. <laughs> you get there, and you know, it's out for delivery. And they got this new deal now that uh, you can follow the truck on a live map. You can see it coming. Yeah, oh, no. I don't want me. That'll mess me up. I'll follow that. That truck got there, and they didn't come to my house. Um, but you, you get excited when it's something you're looking forward to, and it's out for delivery. You know, by the end of the day, it is coming to my house. But it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to show up on the front porch. It's going to be there. Or if you get a different driver, it'll show up at your back. I don't know how your driver does. We have a door on our driveway and a door at the front door. And depending on which UPS driver we get, sometimes it's over there, sometimes it's over there. depends on if it's raining, I guess, and where they end up putting it. But uh, you get really excited with that out for delivery. And that's what our message is today, out for delivery. Because when it comes to anticipation for heaven, uh, uh, in reality, if you are a believer in Christ, you are out for delivery. And there will come a day when you will be delivered uh, into heaven. Yeah, into Beulah land. Uh, if, if you don't know that phrase, then you need to go look up the Heavenly Highways hymnal, and you can find out what Beulah land is. Uh, but we, we hear about heaven, and we can ask the question of what is heaven, you know? What do we really believe about heaven? Um, and when you picture heaven, what do you picture? Do you picture what you've seen in movies or what you've seen in TV shows because it's a visual representation or what you've seen uh, have described to you when you were five years old in Sunday school and you see clouds? They've got streets of gold, so it's clouds with streets down the middle, right? And everybody's got harps and they're floating and they got, you know, toga robes or whatever. And, and uh, you may ever picture something like that, even if you say, well, I know that's not what Scripture says, but you may still kind of picture it in the back of your mind just because that's what we've seen and what we've heard. And then you, you may ask yourself the question, can we really know what heaven is like? I mean, is it possible in our human brains at this point in existence is it possible for us to know what heaven is like? I mean, to really know. And we can read books like Don Piper, who we've had here a couple times, 90 Minutes in Heaven. Uh, and he went to heaven, was dead for 90 minutes. But if you really read his book, he never, like, got into it. I mean, he was there at the gates, but he didn't go past the gates. And so, uh, you know, even his testimony, what we can see and hear, 
is it possible to know what heaven is like? And in doing a lot of research in this, uh, a lot of people quote this scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I didn't give you a page number today because we're, we're, we're going to have a lot of scriptures. They're all going to be on the screen. If you're online, they're going to be below me. Uh, we're going to sp spend some dedicated time later on in Colossians chapter 3, but we're going to be all over the map here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, a lot of people quote this when they think about heaven. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, have you ever had somebody say this verse to you with regards to heaven? It's going to be so great, we can't even imagine what it's like because of this. And it is. But this is a prime example of taking one verse and not taking what Scripture is actually saying. Because we're going to read what comes next. Let's look at verse 10. These things God has revealed. Now, hey, hang on a sec. Hey, Emily, go back to verse 9. So, no eye has seen or ear heard from, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. So, he says, we can't know. But then in verse 10, he says, God has revealed. How can we, how can that work? Well, Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, is, is building a discussion here, an argument. Because he's quoting a scripture in verse 9 from the book of Isaiah. He's saying, this is the way it used to be. You couldn't know. But now you can because of what comes next in that sentence. These things God has revealed. Uh, where was it? These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And if we impart this in words, this is important, but, uh, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So he says, God has revealed the things that have been prepared through the Spirit and the words that have been taught by the Spirit. What do you think the words taught by the Spirit are? Scripture. How did the guys write Scripture who wrote it, the 40-plus guys who wrote down Scripture? They wrote it, as Paul tells us in Timothy, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit spoke through them and wrote this, these words down. And so through this Scripture, interpreted by the Spirit, he says there, we can have an idea of what heaven is like, of what heaven is going to look like. And we're going to examine over the course of these four or five weeks, almost every single scripture we can find with regards to heaven. And we're going to dive deep and we're going to uh, rip it out. If you saw any of my stories this week on Instagram or Facebook, it's been mind-expanding for me. Um, I had to take several brain breaks in the midst of it because I felt like my head was going to explode. <laughs> and I had to walk around and say, uh, I need to God, give me some more capacity here. Um, but we're going to look through this. And so he says, you can know it as much as we can know anything. For example, John chapter 14. Uh, in, in the midst of this, the context of this scripture, Jesus is telling his disciples who are, he had just told them, I'm going to leave you. I'm not going to be with you forever. And his disciples are worried and scared. And then he tells them why he has to leave. In verse 2 there. In my father's house are many rooms. 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. So we had just seen, just now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that God prepares a place for those who believe. And here Jesus is saying, he goes to prepare a place, and we can know that God is Jesus. Jesus is God, and the only way to know the way to where he is going is by knowing Jesus. And so he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. So does that mean that heaven is one giant house and it has a bunch of rooms in it? Audio Adrenaline says, yeah, right? <laughs> it's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. It's a big, big house, lots and lots of food. Anybody? Can I get a witness here? Come on now. Okay. I must say, some of you were alive in the 90s. Um, and if you haven't discovered 90s Christian on Apple Music or Spotify, you need to go look at that, and you'll have, have some instant flashbacks that we've been having in our house over the last few weeks and realize, I didn't even know I knew that song. Um, and so uh, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. He's giving an illustration, not that heaven is one giant house, but the place that God has prepared, the place that Jesus has prepared, he's prepared a place in the sense of everyone has their own room. Everyone who believes in Jesus has a place in heaven. Okay, that's what he's saying. There's a place there. You follow Jesus. I have gone and prepared a place. It is prepared for us. It is ready for us. It is, honestly, better than what we have now. You may have heard often that this world, earth, here that we currently exist on, if you believe in Jesus, this is as bad as it's ever going to get. But if you don't believe in Jesus, this is as good as it's ever going to get. And so if we follow Jesus, it can be better. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 2, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Die, to die is gain. It is better. We will gain something far better than what we currently have. It will feel better. It, the experience will be better. It will uh, <laughs> far outweigh, as he, Paul writes in, in Romans, the, the greatness of heaven will far outweigh any bad we ever experience here. Uh, it would just be so phenomenal and incredible. He said, it is gain. It is gain. It is great. He describes it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. So he says, we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't see heaven yet. We don't see it yet. We walk by faith. We walk in faith, knowing that heaven is there and exists. And when, if we follow Jesus, we will go there. And we're going to get to a definition of heaven in just a minute. But he says, so we have, in, back in verse 6, we have good courage now, knowing that what is coming is better. And so nothing now should overwhelm us or overpower us, because we should be courageous knowing heaven is coming. So we have faith. He says, we walk by faith and not by sight, because we follow Jesus with the Spirit within us. So verse 8, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So even though we are where we are and we're existing now, if we know Jesus and grow closer to Jesus, as he says there, we would rather be away from this body and at home with Jesus experiencing the greatness that is heaven. Now you may be thinking, well, okay, we can talk in those terms and generalities, and heaven is great, phenomenal, but what makes it so great? Well, come every one of these weeks and you'll find out. Because we're going to go there, not to heaven. Maybe some of you will. Uh, if you know Jesus, you will go to heaven. But we're going to explore all of those scriptures. He says, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now notice his words here. At home 
with the Lord. So heaven in Paul's description, in Jesus' description from John chapter 14, heaven is real. And the way it's talked about, heaven is a place. It's not simply a mindset. It's not a, a perspective. Heaven is an actual place, the way it's described in Scripture. And so that we're gonna, I'm going to give you a, a limited definition and a further one later on. But heaven is a place of residence for those who are alive after death. Heaven is a place of residence for those alive after death. It's a place where people who live after death live. They live somewhere, and so they live in heaven. So if you are alive after you die, you live in heaven. Death is not the end for the Christian. It's not the end for the Christian. Death is not the end. We can live after we die. And yet, even though we may know that, so many people, so many, not just people in general, but so many Christians are afraid of death. Afraid. Deathly afraid of death. Deathly afraid of death. And we're going to talk about that just real quick. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, it's written, Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And we're going to see why this reason is in a passage in, in Hebrews chapter 2. But the question is being asked in description of our salvation. Knowing Jesus means that death no longer has victory over us. Knowing Jesus means death doesn't sting. Death isn't final. Death isn't, doesn't hold for the Christian the same weight it holds for a non-Christian. For a Christian, death is a time of rejoicing, of celebration. I mean, imagine if, you, if you've been to a funeral I preach, I give this illustration. It, it, you, you give the, I mean, if you've ever been in the room also when someone has passed away, they have that uh, a struggling breath. And the way I picture it is they breathe out the contaminated, struggling breath of earth, and their very next breath is the intake of perfect air in heaven. Oh, my word. <laughs> no more struggling. Only clarity. <sighs> I mean, it's like coming up out of the water after being under it for too long, and you get that, oh, I'm alive feeling. That's what Paul's talking about here. And the author of Hebrews writes about this and uh, uh, the victory we can have over death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things, Jesus, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is, the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now look at what the author of Hebrews says. He says that fear of death is equivalent to lifelong slavery. Being afraid of it is like being a slave in bondage. Even though, as, as both he and Paul describe, there's freedom in Christ and no reason to fear and no reason to be enslaved at all. Because we have freedom in Christ. There's no reason to fear death for the Christian. For the Christian, it's, it's, it's not something to fear because it, 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 it is the access point into heaven, into what heaven is. Death 
really for the, I mean, is necessary for the believer to get us to heaven. We can't get there if we don't die. I don't know if nobody's told you, you're not Elijah. He went in a whirlwind, in a tornado, and took, was, went, went bodily. Enoch did as well. He went and he said he walked with the Lord and then was no more. You're not those guys. You're not. If you are, we need to talk, like for real. You need to come and talk. Find me afterwards and let's talk about that. Uh, but death is necessary. And th- this fear thing, you got to understand, is not from God. 2 Timothy 1 7. This isn't in the deal. This came to me just a few minutes ago. This isn't on the screen. Um, we've got a dozen, couple dozen scriptures. This one in there. 2 Timothy 1 7. Uh, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And that word of self-control, the, the really underlying meaning of that word is, is a greater divine, supernatural understanding. And so we're able to have self-discipline and self-control over our lives because we understand what God is doing. But if God did not give us a spirit of fear that leads, as the author of Hebrews says there in Hebrews 2.15, to slavery, lifelong slavery, if God did not give us a spirit of fear, fear has to come from somewhere. It's not from God. So it must be Go back one verse, Emily, verse 14. What does it say there? The devil. The devil, who has the power of death. Now go to 15. And what does that power of death do? It holds people into a lifelong slavery over its fear. Fear that did not come from God, that came from the enemy. And so when fear wells up, it is from the enemy, a tool of the enemy to keep us from being whom God designed us to be. It's a Fear, it is, is a tool of Satan to keep us from where God wants us to be. And so what, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Author of Hebrews, we're not supposed to fear death because that is lifelong slavery. Because death is, an, is like I said a minute ago, an access point. Because heaven is accessed by, by two things. Number one, believing in Jesus. Number two, dying. That's how you experience heaven. Believing in Jesus and then dying. Because what happens is, believing in Jesus, dying, belief grants us a citizenship in heaven. It changes our citizenship. It it changes our destination. Belief grants us citizenship in heaven. And death exchanges a temporary body that is marred by the symptoms of sin for an everlasting body that will only ever know perfection. So belief grants us citizenship. Death exchanges a temporary body. Now notice what I put in that definition there, and over the next few weeks we're going to explore every element of this. Our our temporary body, this one, the one you're sitting in right now, it, it is marred by the symptoms of sin. God did not design this world to have sickness. God did not design this world to have COVID, to have the flu, to have a cold, to have cancer, to have uh, 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 diabetes. God did not design this world to have any of that. That's all a symptom of a broken world system. And so what ends up happening, we believe, we die, we're going to exchange this body that is marred by those symptoms, that is broken, We're going to exchange it for an everlasting body that will only ever know perfection. It will never know a sore back when you get up in the morning. It will never know any of that mess because it will be perfect. 
it will last forever. These bodies don't last forever. I don't know if you knew that. They don't. They wear out. Your body's got an expiration date. Maybe you feel like your body's already gone bad and your pastor expiration date. I don't know. But it's got an expiration date, and someday it will come, and we're going to exchange it for a perfect one that cannot expire. Man, we got the better end of that deal. Quite an exchange program God's running. Heaven is accessed by believing in Jesus and then dying. But you got to understand, too, we exchange this body for another body. And talking about heaven being a place, heaven is not merely spiritual. It's not a spiritual plane. It's more than that. It's not just spiritual. It's, it's not simply experiencing eternal life spiritually forever. Because eternal life is experienced now. Eternal life begins when we believe in Jesus. We see that in John chapter 17, verse 3. If you've been here very long, you've heard me quote this a lot. And I quote this verse a lot. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life is believing in Jesus. And so if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life now. It doesn't start when you die. You've already got it in your body that is physical and spiritual. You've already got eternal life. You have it right now. You can experience eternal life right now. And so when we exchange these bodies for another body, we're, we're not going to have a physical, spiritual body in heaven and, and not also experience a physical heaven. Heaven has to be physical in order to use a physical body there. It has to be a physical place. It has to be a physical place. Heaven is physical and spiritual. Eternal life is experienced both physically and spiritually because the physical and spiritual are linked. They're linked. We see that when the first body was created. Adam. Adam was not alive until he had a body, physical, and a spirit, spiritual. Genesis chapter 2. The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. He wasn't a living creature until he had a body and the breath of life. He's got to have both. you got to have a body and spirit. Only then are you alive. And so if we're going to have life, we have eternal life now. We experience eternal life now. Jesus said that in John 17, 3. We're going to have life after we die. The only way life can exist is to have both spirit and body. And so if we have spirit and body, then in order to exercise our physical body, heaven has to also be physical. It's got to be a physical place. So walking around on clouds doesn't work for a physical body. You ever seen a, a, a guy jump out of a plane and then crash into a cloud and be like, oh, I didn't quite make it all the way to the ground. i got to walk over the edge of the cloud and jump off. That's not the way it works. They fly right through the cloud. Clouds are, are not, you know, something you can stand on. You can walk through it, fog, but you can't stand on top of it. Heaven's not a cloud. It's not. There might be clouds in the sky. Imagine, you know, heavenly clouds. How much better are they than our clouds? I mean, our clouds are pretty cool. But imagine heavenly clouds. And so heaven is a physical place, physical. So we're going to have Adam had a body, he had spirit, he was declared a living creature. You have etern if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life now, you have a spirit, you have an eternal spirit, uh, eternal life, you have a physical body now. So we will have one then. There will be a body for everyone in heaven. Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
So it is, uh, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. He uses an illustration here. Paul does. And who wrote 1 Corinthians? What is sown, you, when you sow a seed, you put it in the ground. And then it grows from that. He uses that illustration to describe death. You put it, the body in the ground, and what is exchanged is life-giving. Is different than what was put in the ground. But it grew from that. So he says, what is sown is perishable. These bodies, when they go in the ground, they are perishable. They will perish. But what is raised, the body we get in heaven, he says is imperishable, cannot perish, cannot decay, cannot deteriorate, is perfect. And now, I don't know if you've ever sat down and tried to really think about what perfection is. I, uh, this one, I, I, I don't really know if we can have a, any sort of even the smallest inkling of what perfection is. Because as human beings, everything we know is imperfect. We don't know anything that's perfect. Try to sit down and draw a circle. There's nothing in this world is, is perfect. Everything has flaws. Everything. Everything is imperfect that we see, that we experience. And the reason for that is all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. It's because of sin. The symptoms of sin have ravaged this world. And that's why the, it is the way it is. That's not the way God intended. Sin did that. And so perfection will come and we will have perfect bodies and imperishable bodies perfect one heaven will be perfect it will be a world that is perfect it must be physical and so we have to stop thinking about heaven in terms of clouds with streets of gold and we have to think about it in different terms i'm going to give you a simile okay this you can probably break this down if you really dug into the roof of it but i'm going to give you a description of heaven um, that i've been working on uh, we may change it over the course of these next few weeks, but it's one I've been working on uh, to really, for my own thinking of, of how to think about heaven in different terms. That heaven, rather than clouds and all that, is really, uh, heaven is more of a planet. you got to think about heaven. Heaven is like a planet that is way bigger than earth. It is far more exceptionally beautiful and exceedingly more adventure-filled than earth. We're going to dive into each one. Of I don't think that's on the, the deal. I added that to my notes this morning. Sorry, Emily. Um, heaven is like a planet. It's way bigger. I'm not saying it is. I mean, we'll dive into that once we get into Revelation 21 and 22. But uh, just in terms of how we think, let's think about heaven rather than clouds. Think about heaven as though it were a planet. Not in our solar system, even outside of our universe. But heaven you got to think about it like a planet way bigger than Earth, far more exceedingly beautiful and exceedingly or exceptionally more adventure-filled. You say, how can heaven be full of adventures? We're going to stand around in robes and sing all day long. No, we're not. That's a teaser for in a couple weeks. you got to come back for that one. Uh, heaven is, is, <laughs> it is exceptional. It is exceedingly. Our, the English language, any language created among men, does not have enough descriptive words to describe what it's going to be like. It is going to be far and away better than, than what we can contemplate. It will be similar to some things, but perfect in every way. And Paul writes about that experience of how our, our outlook on heaven should impact our life here on earth now. 
And he writes about that in Colossians, the end of Colossians chapter 2, the beginning of Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes this in Colossians 2, starting in verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses, your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, your living in sin, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So you believe in Jesus, Jesus as the Son of God, his death, his resurrection. As he says there, uh, our record of debt, our, our, our record of sins, they have all, he says, can't been canceled because of Jesus' death on the cross. It was nailed to the cross. He rose from the dead, granting us eternal life, life after death. So similarly, we as believers in Christ have been raised. We have been given eternal life and eternal spirit, but in order to experience heaven, we also need an eternal body. We already have the eternal spirit that we saw in John 17, 3, the eternal life, but in order to experience heaven, we need an eternal body. And we look forward to the delivery of our eternal body. It's out for delivery. It's coming. We're going to get it one day. Look at what Paul writes at the beginning of chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth above. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He mentions that actual phrase there, the right hand of God, in Ephesians chapter 1, when he says that uh, Christ Jesus has been seated uh, uh, at God's right hand in the heavenly places, in heaven. So the right hand of God is in heaven. So when Paul writes here in Colossians chapter 3, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth, he says set your mind on heaven, on heaven. So the above that Paul writes about there in those two verses is heaven. Setting our minds on heaven is what he's telling us to do. What does that mean? What does that look like to set your mind on heaven? I'm going to give you two quotes. They were just too good not to have here. I don't, I don't think they're on the screen. Um, but one is from Randy Alcorn. He writes, Our minds are so set on earth that we are unaccustomed to heavenly thinking. Many of us are so earthly-minded that we are of no heavenly good. That last sentence really dug into me. Many of us are so earthly-minded we're, no, we're of no heavenly good. The things that occupy our, our day-to-day you know, brain power have more to do with the right now than the eternal. And as a res- not that the right now stuff doesn't need to be addressed, it does, but it, it needs to be addressed through the filter of the eternal, of heaven. So let me read that last sentence again, and then I'll give you one by C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Many of us are so earthly-minded, we're of no heavenly good. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Christians who, did mo- who do most for the present world are just those who thought most of the next. Christians who do most for the present world are just those who think most of the next world. To think most of the next world means to have the greatest impact here and now. Why do you think Billy Graham told so many people about Jesus? Because he was set on heaven. Set on heaven. 
And he said, if I'm going to heaven, I've got to have as many people going with me as humanly possible. And so I'm going to tell everybody I possibly can about heaven because it is going to be so great and so good, and everybody's got to go. I, he said, I'm not content to live this life with one uh, uh, more person not going to heaven because I did not tell them. If I think heaven is really that great, I cannot help but tell everybody. If it's impacted me in such a way, I've got to tell everybody. It's got to be a part of my uh, vocabulary. It's got to be a part of my conversation. It's got to be everywhere. We've got to set our minds on heaven. Now, that word set, hey, Emily, put that verse back up there again, uh, verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, on heaven. Set your minds on heaven. That word set there. It means to intentionally plan your perspective, your outlook, and your attitude. Set your minds on heaven to intentionally plan your perspective, your outlook, and your attitude. I don't know about you guys, but how often do we ever intentionally plan our perspective, outlook, and attitude really about anything? More often than not, we're reactionary. Something happens, and that affects our perspective, our outlook, and our attitude. More than pre-planning, pre-setting, our perspective, outlook, and attitude before we ever encounter anything. And that's what Paul is writing. Set your mind. Set it ahead of time. Preset your minds on the things that are above, on heaven. Intentionally plan your perspective, your outlook, your attitude for today based entirely on my ultimate destination, heaven. Not upon the things that may arise based on this earth and this experience now, but set it based upon heaven, upon that eternal destination, on the place we are going to go. We have to set our hearts on heaven. Set our hearts on heaven. Set our hearts on heaven standard time. Not central, not daylight savings. There's no daylight savings in heaven, praise Jesus. Set our hearts on heaven standard time, here and now. And it can be done. You, you, it, it, it takes force of will. Yes, it takes self-discipline, or as we saw in 2 Timothy 1, 7, self-control. That's the spirit the Lord gave us, not of fear, but of power, love, and of self-control, self-discipline. He gave us that spirit through his Holy Spirit to function in that capacity. So setting our hearts on heaven, intentionally planning our perspective, outlook, and attitude. It's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. Knowing that heaven's a physical place and we're going to be there and experience what is there, we have to set ourselves on that uh, uh, heaven standard time now. But in order to receive our everlasting and perfect body, we must first have the everlasting spirit of eternal life by believing in Jesus now. You can't experience heaven if you don't have Jesus. That's step one. You've got to believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, well, we're all going to die. I mean, that's coming. Everybody dies. Everybody does. I mean, death has, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's batting a thousand. It's all there. We're all going to be there. But if you don't have Jesus, then you don't have heaven. The only way to have heaven is to have Jesus first. Have Jesus first. Believe in Jesus first. Because we've all sinned. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. We all have that within us, sin. We all have sinned. And the wages of sin, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. You sin, you die. One sin, one death. I've sinned a billion times. Well, I deserve to die a billion times. But Jesus died in my place, and his death was so much more powerful than mine because he is so much more powerful than I am as God. And so his one death paid for my billions of sins and all of yours for all of history. 
That's how much greater he is than us. And so believing in him gets our, all of our sins wiped out and forgiven, or as was written there, canceled, gone, expunged from our record. It's been nailed to the cross and no longer exists, wiped under the blood. And we know Jesus if you believe in him. And let me tell you something. We should desire more people to know Jesus because of heaven. Look at that. I think I put these stats in there. Heaven is not the default ending for anyone. For anyone. Three people in the world die every second. Three people die every second. 180 people die every minute. 10,800 people die every hour. 259,200 people die every day. Just about 260,000 people die every day. And they either go to heaven or they go to hell. In that moment, you don't get an extra, you know, bonus question. Your time's up, and you've had your opportunity. And we've had our opportunity to tell others. 260,000 people every day either go to heaven or hell. And you've got to believe in him. Only Jesus can change the destination for somebody. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can change our destination. Jesus said, I am the way, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't get to heaven. You can't get to God except through Jesus, believing in Jesus. No one else is powerful enough to get us to heaven. Acts chapter 4. Uh, Acts chapter four. There is salvation in no one else. No other name under heaven has been given among men by which we must be saved. It's only in the name of Jesus that salvation can come, that heaven can be acquired. But we can also know with certainty of our change in destination. John wrote that in 1 John chapter 5. I write these things about salvation to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life, that you may know it beyond the shadow of a doubt that we can know we have Jesus and have salvation and have heaven. It's only by faith that we have heaven, that we have salvation. It cannot be earned by a good life of good deeds. Paul wrote that in Ephesians. For by faith you have been saved. By faith you have been saved. Or by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of our own doing, not of our own deeds, not of what we can accomplish. It is from God. We are not strong enough to save ourselves. But what we must do then is admit that we need Jesus. Admit it. John wrote that one also, 1 John 1, 9. If you confess with your mouth, if you admit with your mouth, if you admit it, if you confess it, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive you your sins. He will forgive them, and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Wipe it all out. It will no longer be there. Using, again, Paul's word of canceling, it is gone. Confessing it, admitting it, I need Jesus to save me. And so the, actually one of the very last things in all of Scripture that is said is, is a, an invitation that is issued. It's in Revelation 21. Jesus said it, come. He said, come. And it, it actually says the Spirit and the bride. So the Holy Spirit and Jesus are begging people, come to me. Let the one who hears me say this, let him come. Let the one who is thirsty and wants something to drink, let him 
come. Let her come. Let the, the one who desires to take the water of life and embrace eternal life, uh, let them take that without price. They don't pay for it. Jesus already paid for it. Let them come and have eternal life and have eternal heaven if they believe in Jesus. And so the question for you is the same question or the same invitation issued by Jesus in Scripture, come. Whether you're here in the room or you're watching online or maybe you're in the room and you're going to share it with somebody later online because they need to come. You need to come to Jesus today. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. There is no access to perfect heaven without Jesus. You have to have him. Don't be one of those 260,000 if you don't have Jesus. If you do, as Paul writes, then, then death is gain. Death is far better. Death is phenomenal because we get heaven. But don't even think about it if you don't have Jesus. Because without Jesus, you don't have heaven. And heaven is peace. Heaven is, is grace. Heaven is, is perfection. Heaven is greatness. And we're going to dive into that in the coming weeks of some specifics of what it's going to look like and be like and the experience and our bodies and what they're going to look like and what all is going to be going on there, relationships we're going to have. We're going to talk about all of it, but to have heaven, to experience heaven, to know heaven, you've got to have Jesus. And so if you're in the room, I'm going to ask you in just a second if you will come to believe in Jesus today. You don't have to say magic words. You don't have to pay a cover charge. Jesus already paid it. I want you to come. Come today. I will be here. Micah will be here. If you want to grab one of the people off the stage, that grab them. Say, but they're singing. We've got to have words. We've got, we got words on the screen. People can read. Grab somebody. Come to know Jesus. If you're watching online and you need to come to know Jesus, come today. There's a, wherever you're watching, Facebook, YouTube, our website, there's a button or a link right below me on all those platforms to say, I made a decision. You click that button. Don't wait. I mean, you're not in a room. Nobody's watching you. You're by yourself. Click the button. Easy. Touch it. You're on a phone. I'm right here. Touch the button. I'm imitating. Touch it. My phone's over there. Touch the button. I made a decision. I say, I want to know Jesus. I just believed and came to know Jesus. That When you click that button, you hit submit on that and say, I, I came to know Jesus. That sends an email right to my email. And I get it. And I will call you tomorrow. And I'll celebrate with you. Come to know Jesus today. Whether you're online or whether you're in the room, don't hesitate, don't wait. Heaven can only be known if you know Jesus. And if you come to all these messages over these next few weeks, if you watch them all online or listen to the podcast and you don't know, know, and you don't know Jesus, then you're never going to experience what we're talking about here. You're not going to know the perfection. You're not going to know the greatness. You're not going to experience this actual physical place that is heaven. You've got to know Jesus. And i got no other way to say it than quote Jesus' own words in Revelation 22. Come today.